Drive time on 91.3. Always on the cutting edge. Was it the Cape Drive time? That's where we are all Monday because Monday is going to be Monday all day today. 0829-913-913 is the WhatsApp line. What do you think? The ongoing issues from the Fukushima nuclear disaster in Japan, remember that? Um, earthquake, then tsunami, and then uh, the nuclear power plant got drowned. And the rest is terrible history. It happened 10 years ago, and it's a reminder of the many compelling arguments against nuclear power. So what lessons can South Africa learn from this experience? We now chat to Peter Becker of the Kuburg Alert Alliance. Peter Becker, welcome. Thank you, Shafi. Good to be with you. Right, so what do we learn from Fukushima? It was pretty much of a catastrophe. Um, that's the closest word I can come to. Yeah, it was a multiple-leveled catastrophe, you know, because it started with a nuclear catastrophe, but then moved on to a more of a social disaster as well uh, due to the consequences of the evacuation and so on, you know. Yeah, uh, what can we learn from it? Well, it's interesting. I think the first step is to look at what was the what were the causes of the Fukushima accident. And it's interesting because the a sort of common uh, answer to that is it was an earthquake and a tsunami. And in fact, the official report to the Japanese parliament found that the primary cause was regulatory failure. In other words, it was a regulatory environment that allowed standards to be lax enough that meant such a disaster could actually happen. So there were multiple causes, of course, but I think it's important to remember that that was the, identified as the primary cause. Now, 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 what I find interesting, uh, quote-unquote, about the Fukushima nuclear disaster, because we followed it quite closely in the media, was the fact that uh, no measures were taken for uh, an event such as uh, a tsunami, and the tsunami drowned the backup generators, it drowned all the systems. So uh, the scientists were left there with literally with egg on their face. There was nothing they could do. They just had to watch the disaster unfold. Exactly, and uh, with a strong regulatory environment, that particular design so close to the shore with such a cliff behind it that channeled the water straight back onto those generators shouldn't have been allowed. There should have been more safety systems in place for such a thing. And, of course, there were some systems in place, you know, to be fair. um, What they had is a regional area that had specialized equipment to deal with radiation, and the local emergency staff were told not to leave their buildings because they didn't have protective gear or dosiometers and all that. But unfortunately, the regional people couldn't get there because the roads had been damaged in an earthquake. And I think sometimes there's a bit of a a blind spot. People don't think more than one problem will happen at a time. And when they do, the issues interact and compound. Yeah, I mean, it's like the domino effect, as I call it in the classic. One leads to the other. Now, what can can we learn from from in South Africa? Because Kuburg is uh, fast reaching its not sell-by date because a nuclear plant doesn't have a sell-by date. It just becomes we obsolete. We could put it on Gumtree and sell it, but yeah. I don't think so. Probably not. But, I mean, it does become technologically obsolete in the same way that our yeah. coal-powered fire stations do. And yeah. in recent years, we've seen a Kuburg not perform to its optimum because it is getting a bit creaky. Yeah. 
So uh, coming back to that regulatory concept, one of the very specific problems is that the same minister who's in charge of energy, in other words, promoting nuclear power, was also in charge of the nuclear regulator, which is meant to regulate the safety of nuclear power. And when the IAEA came to South Africa, that's the International Atomic Energy Association um, Agency, uh, when they came to South Africa in 2013, because they, they traveled around the world after Fukushima looking you know, to try and uh, get those lessons implemented in, in other countries. And they actually, um, here I can read it, what they wrote, considering that the Minister of Energy is also in charge of the promotion of nuclear energy, and given that the minister appoints the NNR board, that's the regulator, and the CEO, approves the budget and promulgates regulations, our team is of the view that the separation between regulatory functions and promotional activities is not adequate in South Africa. So in other words, Minister Mantashe is in charge of making nuclear power happen. He's pushing hard for it. It's actually in his ministerial agreement. I don't know if you remember those from 2019. Uh, yes, I do, yes. You know, there's actually a line in there that says he will complete the procurement of nuclear power by 2024, which happens to contradict the integrated resource plan, which is another whole kind of um, topic. But anyway, the point is his performance agreement says he will do it by 2024, and he's also in charge of the regulator who's supposed to say, no, you can't do it if it's not safe. So can you see that's just an unworkable situation? And that recommendation made in 2013 has been completely ignored by South Africa. Well, I mean, the minister himself, um, <clears throat> let's be brutally frank, has not covered himself in glory in terms of his understanding even of alternative energy. Uh, yeah. I'm not going to go into that, go down that rabbit hole, but um, he showed... Oh, mind-boggling ignorance and uh, incompetence on that particular one, thinking that uh, there was some kind of parallel that could be drawn between alternative energy um, coming into the system. It doesn't work 24-7, whereas coal does. Uh, I'm not going to go any further than that point. So personally, yeah. as a journalist, I'm not very confident um, about yeah. what we're discussing at all. It yeah, and even, you know, let's assume in a sort of uh, optimistic way we've got um, a good minister in position. There's still a problem that the same minister promotes nuclear power and is meant to control completely the regulator who keeps nuclear, which is meant to keep nuclear power safe. You, you also mentioned um, a creaking. What did you, how did you put it? It's getting a bit creaky yeah. uh, at ESCOM. And yeah, there are two things that are interesting there. Uh, we actually received an inside um, sort of tip recently that the Concrete was becoming very damaged of the containment buildings. So we did a um, request for some information from ESCOM about the, the damage to the concrete, and we received a very interesting report with half the pages blacked out that we weren't allowed to know, some technical information. I'm not sure if there were photographs or what. So that's a bit disturbing because the things that are in that report are very worrying. It says, for example, they found a 110-meter crack right around the top of the containment building. And they've been patching it, but it's not structural repairs. It's just patching work. Uh, so that is pretty concerning. Um, and a second paper I happen to be reading about now talks about the seismic raft, which is how Kuburg is meant to be protected from earthquakes, and it sits on these neoprene pads. But unfortunately, these pads have been found to get stiff much faster than they thought, so they're not actually as safe as they were when the plant was, was built. Uh, it's a synthetic neoprene, and, and they don't use that anymore because of that reason. So even given its lifetime, which is supposed to end after 40 years in 2024, uh, even that 
is looking a bit suspect. The concrete is deteriorating faster than they thought. It's very difficult to repair. These neoprene pads are actually below sea level, four meters below sea level, and there could be water leaking in there. We don't know, and the the pads are stiffening. So all of that is adding up to um, even for its 40 years. In my mind, it's a bit suspect if Kuberg is safe for that long. But never mind that. ESCOM is now saying they are thinking of trying to keep it running for an extra 20 years beyond that to make a total of 60 years. And that seems to me to be just playing Russian roulette with the safety of Cape Town. No, no, it, 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 it certainly does. Um, and, and something else that they are underplaying is the whole seismic thing, because um, I don't know why they didn't think about it in the beginning, but there is um, a seismic fault that runs slap through the middle of Table Bay and then kind of veers off into the West Coast. That is, for example, why we had the earthquake in Tilbach. And very recently we were having some, some shocks, yeah. yeah. Mm. Yeah, and it's interesting you mention that, and it used to be called the Milnerton Fault Line, but more recent research has found it's actually a zone of faults. It's not a single line, so it's called the Table Bay Fault Zone at the moment. The last time there was a definitive study done on the risks of earthquake to Kuburg was in 1976 um, by uh, two people called Dames and Moore. And the current license for Kuburg and its safety case is based on 1976 research, which uses a technique, and I don't want to get too too technical, called probabilistic seismic hazard assessment, which is found to be completely inaccurate and is no longer used. So one of the things we've been pushing for is to do an updated um, seismic study using modern methodology, but that hasn't been done to date as far as we know. And uh, judging by the current attitudes, I've got a feeling that it won't be done because political expediency, I think, is going to win the day and at the expense of all the citizens of Cape Town. Well, now, Shafika, for the first time, I'd like to disagree with you, but I think we will stop them. I think if we work together and we inform ourselves, uh, the public uh, voice needs to be heard on these things. You know, we have strong public participation laws, and I think you're right, that's the intention, but I do believe that we can stop them. In fact, it's almost a funny story. I remember um, just after Kuburg had been built, there was a certain um, council official very high up who, the minute Kuburg was built, he sold his house and he moved as far as he wa- away as he could from Cape Town. <laughs> and it's a true story. Wise man. <laughs> Peter Becker? Yeah, so I think yeah. there are a few things that we, we yes. need to say. Firstly, ESCOM must stop being so secretive. They can't black out half a report from 2015. You know, we need to know that as the public. And then we've really got to have a debate. Is it worth the risk of keeping Kuberg running uh, right now? And then the story of, is it really safe to extend it by 20 years? Indeed, and I'm glad you're confident that it can be stopped because really, uh, for the safety of Cape Town citizens, uh, they need to be informed and uh, Kuburg needs to end its life as it should. Peter Becker, Kuburg Alert Alliance, uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much, Rafika.